0: I'm Kyle Simon,
1: and I'm Corey Astle.
0: Welcome to Conservative Minds, a podcast dedicated to examining conservative intellectual history to determine the core values of American conservatism. What does it mean to call yourself a conservative? What did it mean in prior times? And how did we get where we are today? We explore these questions and more by turning to conservative political thinkers from past and present. Each episode, we select readings and conduct a discussion to share with you our investigation. If you want to join the discussion, like us on Facebook. Or follow us on Twitter at ConsMinds, it's at C-O-N-S-M-I-N-D-S. For episode 43, we read The Benedict Option by Rod Dreyer, published in 2017.
1: Rod Dreyer was born in 1967 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was raised in the small town of St. Francisville. He graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Journalism from Louisiana State University in 1989 He is currently a senior editor and blogger at the American Conservative and author of several books. He has written about religion, politics, film, and culture in numerous popular news and magazine outlets. His commentaries have also been broadcast on radio and television networks. Dreyer has been married since 1997 to Julie, his wife, and is the father of three children. He lives in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was raised a Methodist. He converted to Roman Catholicism in 1993 and then uh, converted again, this time to Eastern Orthodox in 2006. So Dreyer is here to share some hard truths for Christian conservatives. Mm -hmm. He says, today the culture war as we knew it is over. The social conservative values voters have been defeated and swept to the political margins. He says, where do Christian voters fit anymore? He says, we don't really. For so long we were told that if the Republicans were to take power, Christian morals would be upheld and our children's future would be secured. He Remember he wrote this in 2017, it was published. And he says So he says, now Republicans control the White House and Congress and we can see that that promise is false. Pressures are intensifying from secularizing outside culture while the church's interior structures are breaking down. The cult- this cultural revolution cannot be turned back. American Christians are going to have to accept that we live in a culture in which Christian beliefs make increasingly little sense. Do you agree with uh, Dreyer's assessment, Kyle? It's, I mean, it's a little more pessimistic than I like it to be,
0: but I I, I can't argue with its facts. I mean, we we're in a, we we're in the midst of a secularizing wave and I, m- I mean, I could see why he wrote this in 2017. Although, I mean, the writing was on the wall before that, but we had candidates running for president, none of whom were talking about morality in any meaningful sense, in any religious sense, to be sure. Um, You know, and he talks about the the coalition that had sort of made the Republican Party in the days since Reagan was between big business and social conservatives. And that definitely fell apart by 2016. I mean, we, I mean, I don't think Trump is, he's pro-business in a way. He's certainly not pro, I mean, he's nominally Christian. I think they, you know, he's, some of his marriages have been in churches. (laughs) You you know, I mean, but I don't think he's, I don't think he's uh, Christian or any sort of religious in any meaningful sense. And And I think you could probably say the same of Obama too. I mean, he was a member of a church, but it wasn't really, you know the four you know the at the forefront of his thinking or it didn't influence his either either man's philosophy of governance in any meaningful way and that's so you see both parties sort of abandoning it and then i think like what a lot of what treyer talks about in the first chapter here is this the um the way that corporate america has just sort of bought in completely to the lgbt movement and not just the original intentions of that movement, which was more like accept that gay people are citizens and, you know, treat them equally. You Mm -hmm. know, now it's sort of this, it's gone past tolerance into forced acceptance, you know, and it's, you have to, you've got to be an ally. You got to be on board. You've got to, you know, profess your fealty to the new ways. And I mean, we saw this in all the wedding cake and florist cases around gay marriage things that are still going through the courts and still, we're still trying to figure out how, you know, how much can these little state bureaucracies force people to deliver services to, you know, some, in aid of some ceremony they don't believe in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I, I see what he's saying. I mean, is the culture war over? I don't know. I, I, I think that's a fair point. What do you think?
1: I, I feel like the culture war is still raging, but maybe not in the same ways. And I, of course, I, you know, I definitely agree with his hard medicine, which is that overall from the high watermark of the Bush administration, where it really, we really had Christian conservatives riding high, you know, I mean, I remember, let's say, t- you know, 2003, 4, 5, all the projections were, you know, we're going to have a, this uh, conservative majority into infinity mm-hmm. and, you know, we're going to beat back the sexual revolution and and all this individualism and you know it just it didn't happen and it quickly receded and i think it probably always was going to to the point uh, that that Patrick Deneen has made in you know in a previous episode that we talked about which is that just the way our institutions are set up like the we're moving constantly and consistently in the direction of more individualism more consumerism uh, more individualism in terms of like per the choice of lifestyle you know, you can't, you can't really avoid it. He's going to have these remedies that are really interesting, but you know, ultimately people still have to live. And so they, the kids still, you know, Christian kids, same as non-Christian kids still enjoy the same music. You know, they watch the same movies, you know, all of that is not going to be turned back through, you know, political action. <laughs> so,
0: No, I, I think what he, he talks about this, um, what has sort of replaced actual Christianity and culture this moralistic therapeutic deism Mm -hmm. and uh gives five basic tenets of it and it really describes a lot of the fake religion that i see in some of my friends and family this sort of like hey god's real but eh, i don't go to church at all or read the bible at all or follow any of the rules that are too hard and here's what he and he's taking this from some other social science research that he cites in the book but here the five tenets are uh, God exists and created the world and watches over it. God wants people to be good and nice to each other. The goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. God does not need to be involved in your life except when you call on them to solve a problem.
1: <laughs> and find your good keys. people.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. You're gonna you're gonna pray to you know, Saint Anthony to find those keys, but you'll never go to church. That <laughs> all right? Uh, and good people go to heaven when they die. That's always the one that confuses me about people who don't believe. In any sort of meaningful religion, but then they'll still talk about heaven. It's like, well, really? Like that? I don't get. Like, if mean, <laughs> I, I understand an atheist a lot more than I understand somebody who believes in this sort of vague deism, but that's just maybe well, it's just think, the way my mind works. I don't know.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I think that the way it's been conceptualized, we're here on Earth. God has created an Earth for us to find ways to be happy and feel good about ourselves and build our self-esteem and then when we die we'll get to go (laughs) spend time with god being happy feeling good and having a high (laughs) self-esteem
0: yeah and that 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 middle point about the point of life being to be happy and uh feel good about yourself that's really at odds with christianity i think and with and really with most religions you know it's like you should feel good about yourself if you're doing the right thing not Mm -hmm. just not just to be happy you know okay to be whatever to, you know to be whatever you you feel like being your best self like your best self was supposed to be in line with so, all these rules you know mm-hmm. that's why you should feel good about yourself to any extent was that you were you were actually living righteously
1: yeah
0: but what it reminded me of is there was a interview with president obama before he was president and when i think when he was running for president and somebody asked him you know what does sin mean to you He said, sin is, you know, like not living up to my values, something that doesn't match my values. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And if you were of this sort of therapeutic deism, like, yeah, that's right. When you don't live up to what you think is right. But to anybody who lives under a a system of virtues that has any external basis besides your own feelings, that's insane,
1: you
0: know. (laughs) we could all have different... You know living up to your own values could be anything you know a horrible person could live up to his own values or so could a good one you know it's that same thing we've talked about often on this podcast you know, when you don't have any external locus of of virtue it is very easy to slip away from virtue and to convince yourself that you're good mm-hmm. when there's no good yeah yeah there's no rules it's all like, oh well, I'm nice to people, so whatever I'm doing is okay. You know, it's the same way that people can people can convince themselves of any sort of sin or crime. Oh, everyone does it, or you know, oh, it's not hurting anybody; it's it's victimless. You know, no no one knows, and that's the sort of moral morass that we get into. I think most people are still who live by this are still trying to be good folks, but because they are rootless in their virtues, it really they're making it a lot harder on themselves even though it seems
1: easier mm-hmm. so basically you just described how the, the church or believers are sort of decaying from the inside but you know in terms of the broader culture i think just about everyone on the left who who are liberals you know are basically atheists either they straight up are or they're functionally atheist and so you're really talking about an even not even half the population who's strong christian and most of them, we're going to he's going to argue here, follow this moralistic therapeutic deism. <laughs> so in terms of the, you know, let's say the, the core hardcore believers, you know, and who have, who approach the world in the same way you've just described, where there's rewards or, or uh, consequences after death. Let's say there's not a lot of, I mean, relatively speaking in the history of the world and certainly in the history of America, it's, it's a m- much more limited scope of people. And in the meantime, he says, we're in the midst, basically, of the next great flood. You know, remember to know what is flood. He says, the light of Christianity is flickering out all over the West. There are people alive today who may live to see the effective death of Christianity within our civilization. That's pretty dramatic. Barring a dramatic reversal of current trends, it will all but disappear entirely from Europe and North America. For a long time, we downplayed or ignored the signs. This is basically, this is Jeremiah, right? We downplayed <laughs> or ignored the signs, the breakdown of the natural family, the loss of traditional moral values, and the fragmenting of our communities. Today we can see that we've lost on every front. We tell ourselves that these developments have been imposed by a liberal elite because we find the truth intolerable. And what's the truth that the American pe- people either actively or passively approve? That's pretty solid. You know, that <laughs> that's pretty dire. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't mince words. He's he's given hard medicine. But as I read through it you know, and we've just discussed, I, I don't really disagree with him. I think it's, let me step back the effective death of Christianity within my lifetime. I think it's not, you know, that that's overkill, but
0: yeah, I don't think it's as bad as all that, but it, it's shrinking, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's re it's retreating. And as a, as a cultural force, it's retreating, you know? So, I mean, even people who didn't believe in older times, you know, they they might have individually had doubts or even unbelief, but they still lived in a system that was shaped by those virtues. And, you know, they were still guided by those virtues just because that's what everybody did. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. your, your neighbors followed these rules, your family followed these rules. So even if you yourself, you know, were going through life and said, you know, I don't really feel any of this and I don't really, I'm not sure God exists, but this is the way I live. I, I, you, people were still living basically this Judeo-Christian morality and now as that retreats even farther, and that's what I felt was sort of insidious about this moralistic therapeutic deism is that a lot of it sounds all right. You know, like you, you know, somebody living by that and somebody living by a traditional Christian faith, you know, a lot of the decisions they make are going to be the same.
1: Mm mm-hmm.
0: You know, there's going to be differences, but it's not obvious at first. So it doesn't sound bad. It's not like somebody's living as a complete hedonist or a complete uh, misanthrope or or sociopath. You know, they're just, it's just like the nice fuzzy parts of Christianity, which is a part of it. You know, God does want us to treat each other nice. That's true. You know, I, I think that's true for most religions. You know, I mean, loving your neighbor is a part of Christianity, the big part. So, you know, when he says that a lot of this is just about being cool to each other, that's kind of true, but then it leaves off all the other stuff. So I think it, it slips in in a way that it's like, well, then, you know, that guy, he doesn't go to any church or profess any belief, but, well, you know, nice guy, lives, you know, lives well, treats his family well. Who can say? Who am I to judge? And mm-hmm. then it, it, also, it, it makes it easier for the foundations to erode because it's what's eroding them is not that different on the surface mm-hmm. it's only when it when everything else is gone that you see this this hollowness that remains it's not going to support a uh, a just
1: society yeah well we get through that and it's like well okay what the heck can we do about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so he introduces us to this idea of the benedict option he says serious christian conservatives can no longer live business as usual lives in america we must develop creative communal solutions to help us hold on to our faith and our values in a world growing ever more hostile to them we must we must make a decisive leap into a truly countercultural way of living christianity or we doom our children and our children's children to assimilation so who's saint benedict well Dreyer says saint benedict was so shocked and disgusted by the vice and corruption in rome that he turned his back on the life of privilege that awaited him there because he was the son of a government official, uh, he moved to the n- nearby forest and later to a cave 40 miles away. And there Benedict lived a life of prayer and contemplation as a hermit for three years until he started a new community whose practices would preserve the faith.
0: In, within the monastery he cre- he was made abbot of, he created what the Benedictine rule, which was a it's a pretty detailed way of describing everyday life for the monks and then they they all his sister was a a nun and she created a similar system for women so they you know basically it was just a system of of work prayer life just how how to live how to live a life that is thoroughly infused with god everything you do is in service of god there's a lot of praying and but also a lot of physical work of the sort that benedict has a you know a middle-class person in such in a time when there weren't very many middle-class people would normally not have had to do, you know, in the Roman empire, you would have had slaves and servants doing a lot of this stuff. But then the monastery, the monks do the work themselves. And it's all sort of in, in praise of God. And it's, it's, it's a medieval life that Dreher describes. He says that medieval man saw God in everything. So God is like an active force, not the sort of distant watchmaker God of the enlightenment, but that like he was He created the world and was actively creating it and was in the mix and Mm -hmm. watching what you did. And he cared about what you did. And you wanted to get closer to him. And part of the way to do that was to, to, I mean, science in the old days, in the pre Enlightenment times, was a quest for God. You know, it was a quest to understand God's world and in that way understand him because the world he created would have, you know, his creation reflects him. And Dreyer talks about the Philosophical philosophical dispute from those days where another school of thought arose called nominalism, which we discussed in episode three uh, with Richard Weaver when he was writing in the 1940s about a similar sort of similar problem that Dreyer describes, but not as advanced yet. Uh, Nominalism was the idea that God is separate from creation. Nature does not point to God. Anything that has meaning, it doesn't have to have meaning in a rational sense. And you, and you know, you, it has meaning because god assigns it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and this is sort of a, a dispute that's sort of a i mean he he mentions that you know is it this is sort of a how many angels can dance on the head of a pin dispute right the, the, who who cares in a way right but um what comes out of that is a lot you know that this divide in opinion about what is nature and how does it relate to god people follow the other path and it becomes sort of a this, you know, discovery of, of science and nature becomes detached from God because it's not a path to lead to Him anymore. It's just about finding things out, and that leads to, you know, the uh, scientific revolution, the you know, the industrial revolution, romanticism, the sexual revolution, to Dreyer and, and also to Weaver. If you want to go back and listen to that episode, uh, this is the, the the point. This is a dispute that leads to the downfall of stable society. Mm-hmm. which is dramatic, but, um, you know, there's something to it. And it's, most people aren't talking about nominalism in their daily lives. In fact, I had not heard of it until we started doing this podcast in back in uh, 2018.
1: 2018, yeah.
0: but, um, like a lot of things that are only discussed in, in, among academics the, the results of them do trickle down to everybody else, you know, these changes in, in ideas influence influential people who then live by them and you know things come down you think a lot of the things that are broiling politics today were being discussed at universities 15 years ago but nobody was seriously talking about this and now it's like no no this is serious we're gonna be protesting in the street about it and suing people about it and mm-hmm. you know regular folks are like well, i never heard of this where did this come from now now i have to believe it and that's sort of i think what dreyer's getting at here is just that this divide, and he doesn't get as into it as Weaver did because Weaver was a philosopher. But it's this divide, separating God from every instance of life, is, uh, he, he thinks, the, the cause of this great decline.
1: So, in simple terms, Dreyer is really proposing that we follow St. Benedict's example and separate ourselves and build a separate community and sort of build our own separate monastery, Zion, however you want to describe it. He says, we need to build thriving subcultures is how, how to do it. Because how how do you really separate yourself? It's one thing so long ago, or whether you're in the community or out of the community, you know, you have to grow your own food. And, you know, here today we're so integrated, our economy is so integrated. There's really, you can't really just decide that I'm going to go off the grid. So he says, instead, we need to build these thriving subcultures within the, the broader culture. He says, we must turn our attention to the local church and community and away from Washington as far as politics. We must build thriving subcultures and embrace localism because Christians can no longer expect to influence national politics as they once could. And in terms of national politics, he says, just focus any national efforts on protecting religious freedom. knowing that Repub-, He says, knowing that Republican legislators take a pounding from the business lobby anytime they move in the direction of Let's say against gay marriage or even um, transgender rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, what are the, uh, he calls this Benedict option politics. Benedict option politics begin with a recognition that Western society is post Christian, that absent a miracle, there is no hope of reversing. Most Americans reject many things traditional Christians consider good and even call them evil. Trying to recra- reclaim lost influence is a waste of energy. So, this is a, a call of a retreat, really. I mean, yeah, moving forward, but... faithful Christians may have to choose between being a good American and a good Christian. What do you think he meant by that? I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but first of all, I guess we'd have to define what makes a good American, but obviously, mm-hmm. he thinks that in order to pursue uh, Christian life, you know I guess what he, he's, he's implying that Saint Benedict was not a very good Roman. Uh, you know, and yeah. from our standpoint from here, you're kind of like, well, maybe, maybe being a good Roman meant that you were decadent and, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but so maybe that's, you know, being a good American today is, is accepting the culture and patting ourselves on the back and the decadence of the, you know, the Oscars and, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. It's just rejecting it in, to, in order to be a good Christian.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of what he's talking about is just the sexual politics and sexual immorality, but also, also just rampant consumerism, yeah, rampant right, individualism, yeah. just sort of focusing on everything, but, you know, eternal principles. It's all just, you know, like the rat hitting the bar to get a food pellet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, over and over again until you die. And yeah, you have a right. house full of food pellets. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's life. I feel good. I'm happy. Look, I have, I have all of these things. None of it makes sense, but I have them. Yeah. I think that's sort of the, you know a life without purpose without any principle to strive at i think that's what he's seeing as western culture and
1: yeah
0: he's seeing that you know a lot in the like Deneen talked about a lot of the corrosive effects of liberalism which was supposed to the idea was that we would all have the freedom to pursue virtue in our own way but i think what denine and what um Dreher here are saying is that 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 excess of Freedom has really driven out all other forms of virtue, at least from the public sphere mm-hmm. other than this market driven virtue, this uh you know what's the point of life well, to feel good about yourself and mm-hmm. to have cool stuff
1: well, you and and I think that's the part this. that were- So, you and I've discussed this at length as far as freedom from economic constraint you know is a huge positive and it's and it's mm-hmm. it's pulled millions of people out of poverty and created a life of wealth and comfort for Americans, at least. And, uh, for much of the, you know, for the developed world. So there's so much good there. And, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a huge Milton Friedman fan, as you, as you know, and his argument that we need economic freedom in order to have political and social freedom. I just, I'm just total, totally on board with that, but there are trade-offs and there is a downside, as you say, like, uh, Danine points to it and Dreyer is pointing to it, you know, like unshackle ourselves from these economic constraints. But the trade-off is you know, you, you slowly but surely become part of this sort of consumer culture. You know, you know, the individualism. Just it's just a wheel that continues to turn and you can't really beat it back. I mean, he's he's giving us hard medicine and to me it really was it's, it's it is stunning to go from what I really considered the advance of Christian social conservatism during the Bush, George W. Bush years, to just you know then we have you know Obama who I I don't know his heart but I I doubt he's a you know believer and then to to Trump who is completely indifferent and you know he's 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 the new sort of great hope for social conservatives because of the judges and you're just like you know uh, whatever we think of his politics I I don't think that you know there's many people who are going to argue that he has a He's lived a, a clean Christian life. <laughs> no, and,
0: you know the judge. The judges are may help in the future.
1: Uh, yes, but, yeah, yeah. Don't but he's certainly
0: not. That. He's certainly not flying any banners or being any inspiration to uh, what we used to call values voters, which I yeah. don't you know if we exist anymore.
1: So, using the analogy of David, which is always an interesting sign, you know, because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: when you got nothing left.
1: <laughs> he. This is a. I mean, in many ways of, of raising of the white flag and just saying, hey guys, let's, let's retreat and regroup. Let's accept the fact that we're, we're not going to win. And not only that, much of the efforts that we're putting in right now, we're spinning our wheels, we're getting upset and making no progress at all. The answer he says is to create parallel structures in which truth can be lived in a community. Establish common practices and institutions that can reverse the isolation and fragmentation of contemporary society. So build that separate community apart from, from the larger culture. Help ki- kids learn things they won't get at government schools. You know, he sees writers who write what they really believe and find ways to get it to the public no matter what the costs. Priests and pastors who find a way to live out religious life despite condemnation and legal obstacles. You know, he sees people who decide not to care about success in society's eyes and who drop out to pursue a life of integrity, you know people who refuse to assimilate Benedict option communities should be small and rise organically I mean this is a really interesting vision, and mm-hmm. he let's see he highlights the uh, the Mormon community, which is what i'm most familiar with and I know so well and, uh, and I think in terms of believers in Christ, Mormons do as good a job as you probably can in yeah. You know, separating ourselves or whatever and trying to create separate communities and try to be, as, as um, you know, Mormons would say, be in the world, but not of the world. One effort that's made is, you know, you're assigned a congregation based on your geography. So you can't, you know, forum shop, so to speak. Instead, you're kind of stuck with whoever's in your, you know, geographic area, call it a ward. And in that way, you do have to kind of deal with people that you don't particularly like and then get to get to know people that you probably otherwise wouldn't have. So I think that, you know, that's one step in the right direction. And when I was younger and living, I grew up in Utah and all of my neighbors were Mormon, whether they were active Mormons or not is a different question, but all of them were at least nominally Mormon. And I mean, we knew each other really well. There's downsides to that, but the upside was, <laughs> you know, as a kid, I always felt safe and you, but you also, you also knew that if you got into any mischief that someone was going to call your dad, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> but there was a community there and everybody saw each other as, as part of the community and whether we, you know, liked that one particular neighbor or not, it was still sort of like, he you know, they're still part of us and it's, you know, it's pretty cool. And I think this goes to a conversation you and I've had ongoing in the podcast which. Building community and having community, and and it's not just the, the the consumerism and the you know sexual revolution that is kind of lost with the waning of religion. It's even more importantly, to my view, is kind of that loss of tighter knit community who care about each other and who look out for each other. And and you know, I was very very much taught that there's something different about us, and we we treasured that difference and and uh, you know felt some pride in it. And, uh, my wife who grew up in a community that's uh, in this, you know, state around folks who weren't Mormon, you know, she was always taught like, Hey, you, there's something different about you. And you have to recognize that, that, uh, you are different. And Dreyer says, raise your kids to know that your family is different and don't apologize for it. And I really had that experience.
0: Yeah. I, I, I liked what he was saying about the, uh, like, and what you were saying about ge- geographic, uh, the wards, because the Catholics do the same thing. They call it parishes. And it was, you know, when, when I was growing up in Northeast Philadelphia, we the parish was, you know, you went where you lived. That was it. And it does, it makes, I thought it was good because also, it was good for the the community, but it was also good because the priest couldn't just talk to, you know, people who were theologically liberal or theologically conservative. He had, he had both in his parish because we weren't allowed to just pick the way especially mainline Protestants do. And you see all the the big Protestant denominations are splitting now because, you know, people have segregated themselves into different churches, often on the gay issue, but other issues too. And, you know, the Methodist is in the process of blowing up right now, which I don't know if that would have been the case if every Methodist church would have been more geographic-based and people would have all had to mix with each other and mm-hmm. more to that point get to know each other and realize – the other side isn't just idiots or sinners or evil. They just disagree on this one thing. Yeah, yeah. But maybe we can work together on the other points. And I think that that is important. I, and I, I think you're right. I think the Mormons do this better than anybody else anymore. That I found kind of encouraging because it. I mean, Dreher acts like all oh, is lost in a way, but I think that's that's millions of people who yeah. are doing it right now. So that's that's an example that other denominations could look to. Um, it's a lot of work.
1: Yeah. It's how do you, people, how do you get it going? You know I mean? Yeah.
0: People don't want to do the work, but it's, it does, it does, it has results. Although he says, even if he says that this option, even if it doesn't succeed in reviving Christianity in the world, you should do it anyway, because it's, it's right. And it's good for your family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're living this parallel society. And I, I thought a lot of this, like, like you said, in the world, but not of it is kind of what he's going for. When he first started talking about St. Benedict, I thought this book was going to have us all go to, uh, you know, Christian communes in the country and build a wall and just be autonomous and never interact with the world. But that's not what he's saying. You know, he's saying most of us, most of us can't live that way. You know, we we need to have a job, you know, which means you have to go into an office with people who believe differently from you. Mm hmm. And we have to, you know, you have to drive somewhere and your kids have to go to school. And well, he talks a lot about the private schools here and, and, you know, why that's a, an option if you can manage it at all. But he, he's not calling from, for withdrawal from the world, but more of a building a, a parallel system of belief, but still interacting with the world because the world is what it is. And that's that's where jobs are. That's where life is. You have to go outside. And he talks about, you know, some communities that get too insular and they start to get crazy.
1: Right. Yes. Yeah. You know,
0: let's say you end up like Westboro Baptist,
1: mm-hmm,
0: you know, they don't talk to anybody else. And then you start to think every you know, weird quirk is completely normal and everybody else is wrong. And it, it gets, it gets too far, mm-hmm. so but that's a tough balance. And so like, and like a lot of the things we've addressed in conservatism, it's not, the balance is hard, you know, doing something, but not too much. That's, it's hard to write down what's too much yeah you know whereas you know a utopian philosophy has it easy because they can say, just do this all the time yeah you know, and do this never and that's it what we generally are going for in politics and what he's going for here in 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 life is uh it's harder it requires good judgment and it's it's not an easy thing
1: you make a great point about the the mormon situation offering some level of hope you know people since people are sort of doing it it sounds like it Catholic congregations are doing it to some extent too, hmm. but I would so. say, I would say that it's still not a saving grace. I mean, Mormon youth are not <laughs> in any way immune to the consumerism and the you know the consumer culture and the you know listening to the same music and more or less watching the same movies and and you know it's funny because my wife has critique of uh, of Utah and you know she grew up Mormon and Mormon and everything in utah being kind of this ground zero for the beehive of you know mormonism she's uh she always says i i feel so uncomfortable when i go visit you know your family and everything because every all of these women in utah like every single one of them have all the you know they're just done up so well their hair their makeup you know like the appearance is very important and that was a good insight for me because i hadn't you know hadn't really given it any thought but it's really true and 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 as far as you know being in the world not of the world it's a lot harder than it sounds you know i mean he says like as you you pointed out like he says it's time for all christians to pull their children out of the public school system and i'm kind of like okay but then he goes uh, so so you put them in are we going to homeschool my wife and i have homeschooled a little bit and it's a lot harder you know it's pretty hard Mm -hmm. and but he says okay so then the other option would be you put them in a maybe a christian Private school, but he says don't kid yourself about Christian public or private schools either, because you know the kids there are still looking at porn on their phones and and so forth. So you know it's a it's difficult. It's a tall order, you know. He says uh, you know take the smartphones phones away from the kids, which I I give that a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Uh, buy from Christian businesses, build Christian employment networks, and prepare to be less professionally and socially ambitious. I mean th- th- those those are some good steps and I certainly know people who have who have tamped down their own ambition in order to move back there's a there is a an overabundance of I mean there's probably 10 lawyers for every law job in Utah because so many have like gone back and made the sacrifice so I mean so that does happen that all is good but I mean it's a pretty tall order and how do you you know he says another way to get started is start a church or start a group within your church, or open a Christian school. That's, Those are all good, but I mean, so uh, all order. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, yeah, we're pretty ed- we're educated folks, and you know, most people are just trying to get by. <laughs> like st- how do you start yeah. a church? I mean, try and, I guess uh, you know, you self-select and find that community. But in in some ways, with social media, it's easier to find the. It's much, much, much easier to find the community, and, but in many other ways, it's it's more difficult because people are not interacting with each other any, as much anymore and certainly not being with neighbors outside. So it just makes it more difficult to, to find people. And, and, you know, the self-selection on social media, it helps you to find people who are like you, but it sure doesn't help you to get to know people on a personal individual level, folks that you wouldn't normally otherwise get to know, which is I think, yeah, what talk, you need for communities. So.
0: He, he did talk about that too, about, about it's good to live near your church yeah yeah and i th- I think that's yeah there's something of i think we had high hopes for the internet of creating virtual villages and virtual communities and it did but it's not this a virtual community is not a real community you know like i mean there's something about seeing a person face to face and talking to him and shaking his hand and maybe helping him out with something he helps you out with something it's it's so much different than posting on a subreddit or a you know a message board of any sort you know you could you could make friends over the internet but they're it, it's hard to say that that's real community mm-hmm. yeah and, you know it's so yeah geographical proximity matters and there's there's a real berkey and threads through this whole book of you know investing in a place you know finding a place and just sticking with it like you said maybe dialing back ambitions you know we're it's like, yeah, there's a better job up there in New York, but I'm going to stay here because I've got a lot of roots here and I've got things going on here. My kids are here in school and we've all got our friends and our whole network is here. And it, maybe I'll earn less money here. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's fewer opportunities for advancement here than in Washington or New York City or something. But it's, uh, that's, that's a hard choice to make too because, I mean, I think ambition did build this country. You know, yeah. people, people going West to get that, you know, that homestead where, you know, they don't know anybody out there, but they went and they settled the country, you know, or, or the gold rush in California, drawing all those people out. You know, that's that kind of, you know, wild spirit is what, what settled this great land and, and built it to the country. It is, I guess he's saying that that too much of that leaves us disconnected.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so in one of my final thoughts, I'd say, uh, it, it would be interesting to have sort of folks on the liberal left read through a book like this. I mean, of course, they'll dismiss the the religious aspects, but and the believing aspects, but but just to get a sense for how how religious believers view their situation in America, you know, like there's 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 this assumption that you know Christians are the oppressors, and they're the ones who are on top, and then you look within the community, and it's like uh, couldn't be a more stark contrast, you know. Dreher is telling us, for all Christian believers, the war is over. You know, we've lost. <laughs> it's done. Give up. <laughs> it's time to withdraw into our into our hermited uh, into our monasteries, into our own com- com- communities. I guess it speaks to the the broader existential situation for all Americans. On you know, on the right and the left, everyone thinks that they're losing and then mm-hmm. everyone has this view that someone else is a is is winning and is dominating and we're and we're losing and and uh, if we don't win the next election then you know some so somebody was saying this i can't remember who like if we don't win the next election then everything is lost all is lost <laughs> yeah and the bunker mentality really survives on all sides and certainly the there's a disagreement that, certainly there's disagreement among some believers and, and uh, maybe some of uh, other Americans as far as like uh, you know, homosexuality, although there is a range of, of views within the Christian community, as you pointed out, but, but um, on the whole, this isn't a, this isn't a group of people who feel like they're winning at all, who are, who they are, are the oppressors. And they wouldn't define themselves that way or see themselves that way. You know, they, they're just like the last gasp, like, okay, let's just give up on all every front except fight keep fighting for religious freedom so that we can make sure that we can still exist, even though we're, we're basically the, the bigoted scum, uh, <laughs> definitely don't feel like they're on top. So, uh, what final thoughts do you have for Dreher?
0: Yeah. I mean, dreyer has got a, uh, I think it's, a, it's a, it's a weird kind of optimism because it's, it's a, all is lost, but we, we can still find a way to live. Mm. So I think, yeah, I, I'd be interested in what people think of this book. And a lot of the, Communities he describes in this book who are going, who are living this kind of Benedict option, um, they sound like great communities. Yeah, um, yeah. I, wonder, I wonder how much it could be replicated elsewhere. There is some if you if you want to read this book, there is some cause for hope. But it's also a uh, I mean I think he's a he's a realist about what our chances of having a mass Christian culture is, and it, the chances aren't good but there's also this idea that you know a church that is a minority is now free to really live out its christian mission without being concerned about upsetting people in power
1: yeah yeah
0: because if people in power don't care about us then we can really live out you know the true meaning of our faith and you know it's it's obviously a, a specifically christian book but i think it it the general ideas apply could could apply to other faiths too Mm -hmm, i mean i mean because he he talks about uh orthodox jews a lot too and just the way they like especially like living near the synagogue because you have to walk there on saturday so you know things like that carry through in different it doesn't it's it's a it's a christian book but if you're not christian some of the ideas could still be interesting to you um but it's yeah it's a it's a dark future he's prophesying but it's it's one in which there's still uh there's still
1: some hope all right good enough that's it for Dreyer. Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time.